0: They're so good, they make us want to sing like I can't believe it Burger King made a grill dog Made with 100% beef. Flame anytime you want This July 4th weekend, put down the tongs, step away from the grill, and get to Burger King to try a grilled dog for just a dollar. Ask for the Dollar Grill Dog deal and get a classic grill dog for a dollar. Only at Burger King. At participating restaurants on July 2nd and 3rd, limit five per transaction while supplies last.
1: Welcome to the last edition this week of the Dunked On Basketball Podcast. I'm Nate Duncan here with Danny LaRue, and we're going to talk about all these playoff series. Time is short. Let's get right to it. Uh, What do you want to start with?
0: Yeah, let's let's start with the Western Conference. I'm what's I don't know. Let's start. At the- no, no,
1: no, no. We, we let, that's that's a terrible idea because if we start with that, then no one's gonna, everyone's gonna just turn it off when we get to the East. We better just like alternate or something like just to keep everyone's attention.
0: Okay. Do you want? Do you want? Okay. We can do that. So where do you? So <laughs> then you're you're the host of the show. Where do you want to start?
1: Oh uh, yeah, I guess I am. Uh, okay. Why don't we start with uh, the one that we know so well, and that's going to be. Golden State, New Orleans. Um, What are the injury issues going in here? uh, Drew Holiday, it looks like everyone theoretically is going to be healthy for New Orleans. Drew Holiday uh, is returning from that stress issue with his lower leg that's troubled him over the last two years. He hasn't been starting, but I suspect that if he doesn't in the first game, he will kind of by the end. He actually closed that game against the Spurs and... Definitely looks like he's getting pretty close to full effectiveness and, you know, he is being used a little bit more off the ball when he plays with Tyree Gibbons. They found a nice rhythm with him running the point, but I think we may see him in the starting lineup, if not in the beginning, uh, after they lose the first two games and things get desperate for game three.
0: Yeah, and the only thing I'd add in there is Ryan Anderson, whatever he's going through, he's still going through, so he's not, you know, what he was a couple of years ago. But that I'm not sure if that even at this point really counts truly as injury issues.
1: And also, uh, David Lee is questionable with a back issue. Um that's not surprising. He's had a lot of issues with kind of that uh lower back hamstring ch- chain. And but you know, I don't think he's someone who's gonna get a ton of time in this series anyway, frankly. What do you think?
0: I agree with you. I think that he's the fourth big at best in this series, and I would expect that we might get to see some quality Festus Azili minutes, which excites me.
1: Well, yes, and the reason why I don't think Lee will play much, I mean, this is obviously a problem against many teams. He him guarding Anthony Davis one-on-one, probably not really gonna work when Anthony Davis is playing at the four. And then when they go with Ryan Anderson at the four, Lee spacing out to the three-point line, and most of what Anderson is doing is just standstill three-point shooting these days, if he's doing that, there's really no reason why Lee provides an advantage over just playing Harrison Barnes at the four, and Barnes is really a better fit with the rest of the Warriors' second unit, with like Livingston and Iguodala, who are not going to provide a ton of spacing, so... With all those things together, this does not really seem like a big David Lee series. Yeah, and especially when you look at the fact that New Orleans' defense is not any great shake, so I don't think they're really going to need his scoring too much either.
0: And also, you don't want to play him at center in this series because you want somebody who can protect the rim against uh, perimeter players who can try to penetrate, like Tyreek Evans. You don't want to have David Lee as your stopper in that case.
1: Yeah, and protecting the rim against Evans is particularly paramount because he doesn't shoot a great percentage there. He'll get there a ton, but if you've got someone there who can make him miss, he's not an unbelievable finisher, yep. and he can get a little bit of tunnel vision sometimes too right as he gets on in. So uh, having someone who can block some shots is really important, and I assume that was your thinking and why Azili might get more time.
0: It is. So in terms of the best lineups for these teams, I think for the Warriors – The only question is Iguodala or Barnes. I lean for closing lineups most of the time towards Iguodala. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, certainly. I think that's the case unless Barnes is just absolutely lighting it up from three-point range. His star has kind of waned as the year has gone on, though, as Iguodala has waxed. Uh, The greater issue, I think, will be who New Orleans decides to close with. I think that will determine how the Warriors go. If they're going to close with Asik, at center then you're going to see Bogut but I think if they close with Ryan Anderson then we might see Draymond Green at center and Harrison Barnes at the four
0: yeah we could definitely see that and that resolves some of the other issues with them because I think you can disagree with me but I think that Tyreek would have some trouble with Iguodala and that allows you to maintain that matchup without sacrificing anywhere else
1: I mean you, you say he would Iguodala would do a good job guarding him, is that what you'd say? Yeah,
0: I think so. Not not an amazing job, not a shutdown thing, because Iguodala isn't all the way there. You know, he's he doesn't have that. That's kind of the equivalent of a first step defensively that he used to have. But I think he could do a, a, a good enough job.
1: Yeah, you know, I think actually it, we're more likely to see Thompson on Evans than we do Iguodala. That really for the last two years... They put Thompson on the big scores. And Iguadala has had some disappointing efforts when I've seen him matched up against real good scorers. He's still a master off the ball. And so when you look at the kind of value added there, he's a much better off ball defender than Clay is. And Clay's more kind of a dogged, chase your man around, execute the system kind of guy. So I think that we'll see uh, Clay Thompson guarding Evans more than we might see Iguodala.
0: I think that we already talked a lot about the player they might see less of. I think we both agree with David Lee. There are a few underrated storylines in this series. What do you see?
1: Well, one is, who's Steph Curry going to guard with this starting lineup for the Pelicans, assuming Holiday doesn't start. They're starting Evans at the one, Eric Gordon at the two, and then Quincy Pondexter at the three, so who are you putting Curry on of those three guys?
0: I think you're putting him on either Gordon or Pondexter. It's kind of more of a Mark Jackson special, sliding him off, but the reason you do that is because, as I always talk about, point guard and primary ball handler are two different things. I don't think Curry guarding Tyreek Evans makes much sense, and so you just put him somewhere else.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Now, for the Pels, uh, who's going to guard everyone on Golden State?
0: I think you put Drew on Steph. I mean, if we're if, if we're going in the starting lineup without Drew, then that gets really challenging. I don't know who you put on him there. Uh, but yeah, the other spots, I'm it the Warriors just don't match up well with them. I mean, I think you put you put Pondexter. I probably I trust Pondexter more defensively than I do Gordon. Would you agree with that? Would you put Pondexter if they're starting him on Clay?
1: Oh, that's a tough call. Um yeah, probably, and then you'd, you'd have Tyreek on either Barnes or Iguodala, but you're still, that leaves you, you know, you're going to put Eric Gordon on Curry if they go with this same starting lineup that they have. That's that's a tough call there. Um,
0: yeah, and it's better than Tyreek. I think Tyreek on Curry would just be a disaster.
1: I think if I were the Pelicans, a, a lineup I might consider would be Holiday at the one, uh, and then... Also, Evans and Gordon with Pondex are at the four rather than Ryan Anderson. I like it a a lot. Now, that's not something I've really seen them do much of at all, but Anderson's going to be a big defensive liability in in this series. I'm not sure who he's going to guard. I mean, I guess he would have to guard uh, someone like Draymond Green or if, you know, when he's in the game – the Warriors decide to go with Green at center, especially in the closing lineups, then who's Anderson going to guard? He's going to space out to someone like Barnes. That's going to be tough for him to fulfill any help responsibilities if that's the case. So, you know, I I think with Pondexter, that would open up some switching for them. They would still have Anthony Davis playing center, but I'm not sure Monty is going to get that creative. We'll have to see.
0: Yeah, and the other huge question for me is, will Omer's defense, or offense sorry, be a big liability in this series, too? Because the Warriors are a team that can do a really good job if, they, if an opponent is playing a non-factor on offense. They have so many smart defenders and they communicate so well that I feel that would create some major problems for New Orleans. And will the Warriors be able, with the starters, because presumably Omer Oshik is going to start, will they be able to exploit that as the best defensive team in the league?
1: Yeah, you really, when Bogut is guarding Asik, he's going to be able to roam quite a bit. Ashik a guy who struggles to catch the ball, when he does catch it, he'll kind of take forever to go up. He brings the ball down, and the Warriors have all types of guys who can dig down and strip it from him. So I think you're going to see him with a lot of frustrating missed layups or getting stripped down low in this series or times where he just can't quite go up quickly enough to score and then gets fouled and struggles from the line. So we'll see. If, if he can stay on the floor offensively, that really helps the Pels a lot. But, again, I think they they sort of have a choice between these offensive and defensive lineups, and what makes the Warriors so unique is their offensive lineups are their defensive lineups.
0: Yeah. Uh, any other big questions for you in this series?
1: So what are the Pels' odds of getting this to six games?
0: Oof, so they have to win twice? Uh, let's say... 10
1: to 20%. Wow, that low, huh?
0: I mean, to me, the Warriors, I think the Warriors are going to win more of these games by 15 than the Pelicans are going to win.
1: Yeah, especially the way they've played at Oracle, I think that that's reasonable. I could see the Pelicans maybe winning games three and four at home. It sure seems unlikely that they'll take one at Oracle, but... We may be giving this Paul's team a little bit of short shrift because they're finally healthy now for the first time, and Davis could be a big problem. Maybe he's someone who can blow up in the playoffs, and we're not quite giving him his due as one of the top five players in the league. But I agree with you. The odds are pretty low. I'd give him a little better chance, so I'd give him at least a 25% chance of getting this to six games, although I think it'd be the type of thing where... You know, they had a pretty bad point differential, but eked out games three and four at home uh, yeah. with, their, uh, with their crowd behind them and then uh, end up losing in game six in relatively decisive fashion.
0: Yeah, I definitely think there's a possibility that I, I'm i pretty high on New Orleans in terms of their team. I just feel that they ran into the wrong opponent. And, you know, against another opponent, you know, if let's say they had gotten the seven, I probably would have expected that series to go six or so. But I just feel like this Warriors team is vastly superior, and they're playing really well right now.
1: The good thing that the Pels finally have, what, now that they've gotten Pondexter in that trade, is they really have seven guys who are good now, which is they've always struggled with depth. They had a real good starting lineup, and as soon as you took one of those guys out, or maybe they had six guys, but you know they didn't have them all healthy, now they've actually got seven guys who can play, and... Hopefully, Monty won't go that much beyond them, uh, you know, because then you're getting into guys like uh, Alexis Ajinsa or um, Dante Cunningham, you know, or Norris Cole. Norris Cole may get some time trying to defend Steph, but he's a bit of an offensive liability. His heroics against San Antonio last night, notwithstanding. But I think having those seven guys, if Monty is smart enough to just stick with them as much as he can, uh, could make this team a little bit better than they've appeared so far. Yes. Nonetheless, I think the Warriors roll.
0: Yeah, I agree with all that. I think that the Pelicans, in that way, they're structured well as a playoff team, that I think their top seven rotation is a lot better than their top nine or ten. But I still think that this Warriors team is the same. Their their rotation, especially if they... One of the main storylines with this series, because I think both of us see it as a stepping stone, is how willing Kerr is to play Sean Livingston with Clay. Curry or both and i think that that's the 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 long term in the playoffs with this team is lineups that do some interesting combinations with those guys potentially all three of them together and that would be really exciting to see early on and then be something that gets rolled out more seriously against maybe a memphis or maybe even the conference finals
1: so why don't we move on now let's look at chicago milwaukee The injury issues in this series, Rose missed the second half with knee knee soreness against Atlanta on Wednesday. That was his left knee, not the one that was surgically repaired. All indications are he'll be ready to go, although you you never quite know of him. Taj Gibson had to get a cortisone shot in his shoulder. It was later revealed that he'd been playing with that for quite some time, but he, of course, claims that he'll be ready to go. So... Those are the main issues for the Bulls. And then uh, Kirk Heinrich also had a knee sprain, which he's tried to come back from and then missed a couple games again. Frankly, I think the Bulls are better off playing him as little as possible and and seeing more of Aaron Brooks and Tony Snell than Heinrich in this series. You're so polite.
0: You're so polite, Nate.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So that might actually be helpful, although. Tibbs has said it's basically going to be an eight-man rotation. Then with and then Tony Snell and Heinrich will kind of be splitting the ninth spot. I was surprised that he revealed that, but that's sort of where we're where we're at. Um, so why don't we talk about what the uh, the best lineups are for each of these teams? What do you expect to see them close with?
0: Well, so Milwaukee is a lot easier. I think they're they're going to close with the guys they start with. And so you're talking about you know Giannis and Chris Middleton and Zaza Pachulia and Michael Carter Williams and yeah I mean that last spot is a It'll little bit so yeah too. is Arison but I would be very intrigued against Chicago to see if they do something with a Henson Henson Buzz um, Zaza Pachulia combination because they have that would be some fascinating interior defense against the Chicago team that will have plenty of interior offense.
1: I don't like that combination that much for them because they're going to desperately need the shooting that Ilyasova provides. He's quietly had a bit of a bounce back year after really struggling with some lower body injuries last year that affected his shot. He's actually up to 39% on threes this year, and he's always been a quality rebounder as well. Not an amazing defender, but they've managed to keep their defense up uh, with him even at the four playing pretty big minutes, but I think they need his shooting down the stretch. I don't know how they score without that.
0: I'm not particularly sure how they score either way. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess they score because Pau Gasol can't really range anymore. So on defense, so that they'll do it that way as, as the Chicago aficionado among the two of us, what, there are lots of fun options for them closing games. Do you think they're going to go more boring or more fun?
1: Oh, uh, well, that kind of ties into what one of my questions too, which is, how many minutes per game are Gasol and Noah going to play together? Noah missed uh, missed the last couple games with what's been termed in in various quarters as either a hamstring or a knee injury. That same knee that he's been struggling with ever since he had the surgery last year. So we'll see whether he's a hundred percent. But regardless of whether he is or not, he and Gasol are by far the worst combination in that front court. I think that's been determined ad nauseum both by me and a lot of other people because they're both centers and Noah has, really deteriorated into not a quality offensive player aside from his ability to pass. And so I think really their best lineup, probably depending on Noah's health, if Noah can be anything approaching what he has been in the past defensively, it would be him and Mirotic Miritich has by far the worst pedigree of any of those three, uh, any of those four guys in the front court, along with Gibson, Gasol, and Noah. But frankly, he's been the best of those guys over the last two months. None, of th- he's been able to put up efficient twenty-point scoring lines in many games. None of those other guys, well, except for maybe Gasol, can do that. But uh, Miritich has become a quality defensive player uh, much faster than anyone would have thought, and Gasol is not quite that. So with Miritich and Noah, or maybe Miritich and Gibson, if, as you suggested, they maybe don't go with the true center. Uh, I think those are the lineups that you would want to close with, and then you would have uh, Rose, Butler, and Dunleavy uh, on the perimeter.
0: Isn't it disappointing that McDermott couldn't work his way into some of these lineups this year?
1: It is a little bit. I, I still think he has a chance to be, to play. I mean, he's he's a type of shooter where he should be able to really get going. But, you know, he's been so far out of the rotation and Tibbs is just not interested in playing him that it's really useless to talk about him in, in a playoff preview. Let's just hope he gets his act together in, in summer league and gets more time and, you know, becomes part of the rotation next year. Yeah.
0: Uh, any other underrated storylines in this series for you?
1: Well, one of them is Giannis's jump shot which we've talked about a little bit on previous episodes, he's going to need to be able to knock that down. Presumably he's going to be guarded by Jimmy Butler, and it'll be really interesting to see whether he's going to be able to score against Butler or not. That's one thing that I that lineup or that matchup will be what I'll be focusing in on the most.
0: You think that they're going to put Butler on him and not on Chris Middleton?
1: Yeah, I think so. Interesting. Um, because Middleton is not someone, and, and we may see him switch off depending on who's hot, but Butler's more of a guy who's a great defender, one-on-one, stopping drives to the basket than he is necessarily guarding someone all the way out at the three-point line. Um, I think he provides a little bit more value added on when he's guarding someone like Giannis than someone like Middleton, who's a little bit more of a spacer, although he does have his Post up game and ability to drive a little bit.
0: Yeah, and also it's a lot of the time it's not going to be mutually exclusive because I think they'll stagger their minutes at least a little bit. Uh, so let's let's do prediction. What do you think is going to happen?
1: I think Bulls in six, and that I think most people would probably say Bulls in five. But this is a team that's been really inconsistent. I think that it could take that they may not optimize their lineup choices if the regular season is any indication. And it may take Tibbs some time to figure out what the best combination is, or maybe he never will. And because of that, and especially when you've also got the fact that Rose has been so alarmingly inconsistent, I think yeah, the Bucks could easily take two games in the series, although I don't consider them a serious threat to win the entire series.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good way of thinking about it. I I th- agree with you in the logic. I think it'll be five games, but for very similar thing, I think it'll be tough slogs. I I just feel that if, if these games are tied with five minutes to go, the Bulls are heavy favorites.
1: So a quick one, the the question, how many minutes a game are Gasol and Noah playing together in this series? Quick guess.
0: I would have them, if it, if I were the coach, it would be somewhere in the 10 to 15 range. I think it'll be closer to 20.
1: If I were the coach, it'd be zero, and... If, uh, you know, I'd probably also really piss off my proud veterans, though, so I wouldn't be the coach. (laughs) And uh, my prediction would be that they'll play about 15 minutes per game together.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Let's let's move on. I think that another fun series, we're talking a little bit about inconsistency. I think Dallas the storyline there is fascinating. Also, I'm intrigued because these are two teams that actually have a history. It's not going to be manufactured at all. What's the injury situation like with the Mavericks-Rockets series?
1: A little worse than people are talking about on the Dallas end. Devin Harris, who I don't know if you agree, but I think is probably their best point guard or at least the best fit at point guard on that team. I agree. He re-injured the toe that has been enough of an issue that he actually had to, when he first was signing with Dallas, uh, ended up having a multi-year contract rescinded and he had to go for a one year deal. He's re-injured that. Uh, I said that I heard that it was all black and blue. He said that he expects to be ready, but you know, who knows how limited he might be by that. Um, he's someone who his shooting is going to be really important if he's going to play a lot. Uh, Meanwhile, Chandler Parsons, uh, the quote was that it's promising but not definite that he can play with a knee injury in their game on Saturday. So that's a little worrisome. The Mavs have really struggled when he's been out because they don't have much in the way of real quality small forwards. You know, it's Richard Jefferson starting. If it's not Parsons, Aminu doesn't really have the ball skills to play 3. He's more of a 4 or 5. And him, him and
0: Rondo together just totally demolishes their four spacing.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's true too. So, I mean, I think in some respects you've got a similar situation with Carlisle as you do with Thibodeau in Chicago where you've got this prod veteran in Rondo who is going to start. He'll probably always start. And, you know, if you bring him off the bench, you probably lose him mentally as a contributor. But the evidence has shown that they just haven't played that well with him on the court so with all that being the case uh there's a lot to work through for carlisle although he is one of the best uh you you expect that he would do a decent job working through it
0: and on the Rockets side i think it's more notable who's out as opposed to who's going to be limited because patrick beverly and donatas montayunas are not going to play in this series correct
1: yeah those guys are both out for the year um The only other thing, K.J. McDaniels fractured his wrist, but he wasn't playing at all. He was just playing in garbage time on Wednesday anyway. So I don't think they have much else. Obviously, Howard is still kind of coming back. He didn't play in Charlotte on Monday, I would imagine, for precautionary reasons. Hopefully there will be enough rest in between games here for him that he'll be able to play. How has he looked to you since he came back from this latest injury?
0: He's looked better than I expected. I, I, I thought I always worry when a guy comes returns from that kind of injury that it's going to take them a while. It, that's just my my baseline assumption. But he's made an impact on both ends. His defense has obviously I think has come around more quickly, which is not a surprise considering that's basically Dwight Howard's history. But he's further along than I expected considering how long he was out.
1: Who's going to guard James Harden? in this series for Dallas. What do you think it's going to be Rondo? I think that's really the best use of him. Um,
0: Anybody, but Monte Ellis, Um, (laughs) I I think that you'll use some combination of Rondo and Al Farouk I would be really excited if we get to see, obviously he'll be limited early in the series, but if we get to see some former teammate Chandler Parsons guarding James Harden, not that Parsons will do a good job at all, but I just, I, I always think it's fun when guys who played the year before face each other the next year.
1: Oh, absolutely. No, I think that'll be really interesting with the kind of purported bad blood between those two guys um, over the summer where some comments were made that Parsons essentially wasn't that important to Houston, uh, although they supposedly patched that up. But no, it'll be good. There's always there's always a fun dynamic between Jill Morey and Mark Cuban. So we'll, we'll see what happens in this one. No one's really talking about this series because Houston is really one of... The less menacing two seeds in the West that we've seen in a while, if you look at what their point differential is and just kind of how much people think of the talent on that team. But, you know, they are the two seed for a reason. So uh, we'll see. They're a team that's got a pretty decent chance of getting to the West Finals. Uh, They're going to have home court advantage in the second round if they can make it there.
0: They. Also, one of the dynamics with this is that when we're thinking about the playoffs in this time period, we think about it in terms of all the series at the same time, but when the playoffs actually happen, the games are pretty well staggered. So I think it'll be one of those series that people are going to start realizing in game three or game four, they'll probably have already had one exciting game, and they'll be like, oh, this is pretty fun. And then at that point, they'll realize that these these are all separate things, and I think it will take the spotlight at least one night, probably more than that.
1: So who's a guy who played a fair amount in the regular season for e- either of these teams or both of them who you know there's always the kind of guys who get cut out of the rotation as the playoffs go on who's a potential candidate for that uh, with these teams?
0: It's cheating to say Richard Jefferson isn't it oh <laughs> no I mean he
1: played pretty big minutes for Dallas, so I you know i don't I don't know that it is frankly and Rondo is is potentially another candidate, especially if they put him on Harden and he's not able to be effective. Yeah, um, and,
0: and it's hard for the Rockets because the Rockets just had those just had the Monte Yunus injury that I think is gonna change the rotation a little bit. What I'm intrigued by with Houston is how they choose to handle the center minutes that are not going to Dwight Howard. Are they gonna use Dorsey there? Are they gonna maybe even try some Josh Smith there? I, I'm I I'm interested in that also because Again, it's probably a stepping stone series for Houston. I don't expect Dallas to win. So seeing how they handle adversity, because they're going to have a whole lot more adversity in the next round.
1: Yeah, my prediction would be that Joey Dorsey really falls out of the rotation, that the bigs are going to be Howard, Terrence Jones, Josh Smith, and that they'll play, play Smith at backup center, especially because the Mavs backup center is Amari Sodemeyer. They might even go with Aminu at center in, in some lineups on occasion. So, all that indicates, I think, we'll just see Smith as the backup center for this team. And then, you know, we'll, we'll and they might just go small around him. That's what they've been doing a lot uh, down the stretch in these games.
0: I, I think that definitely makes sense. Do you want to go straight to predictions now? I think we've already talked about the big question, which for me is who guards Harden.
1: Yeah. Let's, uh, I'm gonna go Rockets and seven.
0: Wow, seven! I they did that. The Mavericks pushed a good team to seven last year. I think Rockets and six for me. I think it's probably similar logic. Again, like what I said about the Bucks Bulls series. I feel like these games they are close at the end. I think the Rockets will do well in, especially if Harden's getting calls, which I think he will in this series. But I wouldn't be surprised if it went 7. I would be surprised, and I'll be interested to see if you agree, even if it goes 7, I would be surprised if the Mavericks win.
1: I think that if Rondo plays, they're really doing Houston a favor because they've got Jason Terry and Pablo Prigioni as their point guards now, two guys who I think are both 37. And if you put in someone that they actually have to guard, that could be a big liability for Houston. But Rondo isn't really that guy at, at this point in his career. He's not a huge scorer and not something they have to worry about a ton so they can hide him on him. But, you know, I think Carlisle can find a way to exploit those guys. And Houston doesn't have much in the way of point guard depth. Um, so I, I I do think that Dallas has the coaching advantage in this series. And I don't know that Houston is really that much better of a team on paper than Dallas is. They do have the home court. So that's why I see it going seven.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see that. So now we're going to, we're going to go East. Let's do, let's, let's knock one out. Let's do Atlanta, Brooklyn. (laughs) We can, we can make I think we can make this on the brief side.
1: Okay. Well, so the injury issues for Atlanta, Mike Scott was coming back from a broken foot. He sat out on, Wednesday, with a back injury, doesn't appear to be serious. Paul Millsap coming back from a shoulder strain. He played, but not particularly well on Wednesday. He was only 2-9 and nine from the field. Yep. But uh, indications are he'll be ready to go. And, frankly, against this Brooklyn team, I don't think it matters all that much. Brooklyn, relatively healthy. Allen Anderson, questionable, with an ankle, which is not insignificant. He That would limit their ability to go small quite a bit. But... In his absence, Boyan Bogdanovich has taken advantage of the Mints, and he had that great game last night. So th- those are the injury issues. Uh, what do you think of the best lineups for uh, I mean, for the Hawks, clearly their starters? What are you rolling with in crunch time if you're Brooklyn?
0: I think Bogdanovich has shown a lot. I actually really like him being one of the closers. So you go the big money guys, so Darren and Joe Johnson. The power forward spot, I struggle with a lot. Uh, that's the one that I... I not really confident. Obviously, Brook Lopez is center. Where do where do you see that? I mean, you also have you have a lot of just Morass going on on that team. How do you what do you think about that fifth starter spot?
1: Well, it's not entirely obvious that it'd be Brook Lopez because they've had some success with Plumley closing as well. But Lopez has been great. He's really carried them. Um, but you know, I I, I think. Playing those two together, not really an option at all. That's something that Hollins has done, but there just isn't enough spacing with those guys, nor is there enough defense. So really, you know, at at the power forward spot, I think they've had some success with Joe Johnson, but obviously Thaddeus Young has been real good since coming over. So I, I think you roll with him as, yeah. the, as the starter and Mar- or as, as the finisher. Mark Elbron starts on occasion, but I think he's going to be one of these guys who plays three minutes, and then goes and sits down uh, at the start of each half and never comes back the Keith Bogan's memorial role.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's definitely that. And I don't even know if that counts as a player we'll see less of, because I think that's about what we all expect. What do you What do you see in terms of the Hawks thinning out the rotation? I think Schroeder is obviously a part of it. I think Parro's is a part of it. But how do you think they resolve the two through four, especially if Mike Scott isn't all the way back?
1: That's actually going to be a problem for them. I think Scott is... Very important to keep the spacing train rolling for them in bench units. Pero is pretty limited, and you know he's more of a three-point taker than a three-point maker. Uh, the former has some value, but Scott can actually drain those shots and, and get hot. Pero is always going to kind of just fire away and draw the opposing big man away from the hoop, but not a guy who's going to hit that many of those. Um, another guy I think we might see a lot less of is Kent Bazemore. As a guy who's going to get helped off of a lot, he's really the third wing. They're relying on him at this point, but the drop off from Corver and Damari Carroll to him is a pretty massive one, especially on the offensive end. So I think we might see Coach Bud, uh, if not in this series, the next one, being forced to go big minutes with Corver and Carroll.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that's it's a it's a really good point, and I think that's going to be a bigger issue as they move on in the playoffs, which I think we're going to see. I, do you really? Are there any underrated storylines in this series? I guess Joe Johnson revenge series.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the, the I think the amazing underdog story of the Brooklyn Nets making the playoffs with uh, such a scrappy, uh, underpaid roster.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, you know not, not that much really in this series i think people the nets are probably the least interesting team to uh anybody um it's in the playoffs right now i think everyone expects the hawks to roll well, this is probably the series that's most likely to be a, a sweep in my opinion do you agree with that
0: yeah I'd say it's the most likely to be a sweep uh but at the same time, I could see Brooklyn swinging a game or two. They have some they have some talent that might be hard for the Hawks to counter, but again, I would be floored if they made it even threatening for the series. Yeah,
1: you know, especially Brooke Lopez is going to be someone that's not going to be that easy for Atlanta to guard Now, Lopez is a terrible matchup defensively for the shooting that the Hawks have in the front court. That's for sure. And someone with more mobility like Plumlee might be a better matchup against Horford. So that'll be a big key is whether Brooke Lopez can abuse the Hawks front court more than they can abuse him. And I would put my money on the Hawks in that matchup.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely would too. I, I, I'm exci- I'm ex- I, I don't know. I'm excited to see how the Hawks do because we haven't seen them really at full strength in the playoffs yet.
1: Well just make your cable bill make sure your cable bill for NBA T V is paid up in that case.
0: Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um and so okay, moving on to the Western Conference. Which series which series do you want to go with now? Do you want to save the best for last or do you want to do it now?
1: Uh no, nah, let's let's save the best for last. Let's keep the listeners uh on, on the edge of their chair. Why don't we go with Memphis Portland? Okay. Uh, And I hope you've got 15 minutes to go through all the injury
0: issues (laughs) in this series. It's just just depressing. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, depressing for everyone except for a a Warriors fan. So Mike Conley, uh, the statement was that he could not have played, and neither could Tony Allen have on Wednesday if it were game one of the playoffs. So if that's the case, you know, uh, when is that game? Is that Sunday?
0: Yeah, I believe it's Sunday because the the Mavericks game and the Warriors game are both on are both on Saturday.
1: That's right. So, yeah, I think uh, Mike Conley foot injury, Tony Allen hamstring; those aren't things that you know magically get better over three or four days. I'm sure they can try and play, but I can't think we can necessarily expect them to be 100. Hope uh, fortunately for them, they're playing a Portland team that's uh, even more depleted.
0: Yeah, I mean, so Wes Matthews, Achilles, out. Uh, follow it's... Darrell Wright, right Wright, out. Darrell Wright, out. Is, right? is follow. I haven't heard anything if he's specifically going to be out for this whole series, but he's definitely not 100%, even if he plays.
1: Yeah, no, I haven't heard anything to indicate that he'll be back. Then they had three guys suffer injuries in a meaningless game on Monday in Oklahoma City. Uh, so next time, fans, you complain about... Coaches resting guys, uh, note that Batum had a knee contusion. McCollum sprained his ankle, and Kamen suffered a back injury. And Batum, I know, is questionable. Uh, That's the latest on on that. And McCollum and Kamen, we haven't heard too much about, uh, which would probably indicate that they'll be able to play. But, again, I mean, you've got pretty much – and then LaMarcus Aldridge just came back from a foot sprain on Wednesday – Shot only 8-24 against the Mavs, although he was all they had, so maybe that's why that was. But, and
0: still has his thumb thing.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's true. I mean, yeah, that was like 10 injuries ago. We all for, kind of forgot about that uh, for the Blazers. So Lillard really is the only guy uh, in their original starting lineup who's healthy. I guess R- Lopez is as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, now, now that we've run through all that... Um, you know what do you think are the best lineups each each team can throw out there given all those
0: injuries? <laughs> um, so for Portland, I think the big men we already know it's it's Aldridge and Cayman and then Lillard. The swingman spots it's really whoever... no no
1: you, you mean you mean Lopez? You oh know. sorry,
0: Lo- sorry Lopez, I, I my, my mistake. Uh, the in terms of the swingman spots, I think it's really whoever's healthy. They it's it's going to be a mash mash unit. Batum is the best perimeter guy since Matthews is out. And then the other spot, if a can play, sure. Otherwise, McCollum, I guess. Wow. That makes me feel sad. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe,
1: maybe if you're the Blazers, you kind of, you know, punt a little bit on game one, let these guys get back, try and steal game two, and then, you know, rely on your home crowd to to try and take you through and get a lead in the series, Um, you know, with with so many of these guys being out. And in some ways, maybe it's an advantage to be on the road to start with in a game you're not supposed to win, whereas Memphis, there's a lot more pressure on the home team to win game one. Um, But, you know, I mean, obviously, you never want to just not try that hard in a a game in a series. So uh, it's not a great position to be in either way.
0: See, I was thinking the reverse just because Allen and Conley's injuries will improve over time that you see if you can steal game one and get lucky and get lucky in game one and then with the idea that they'll be a little bit better in game two and you swing the momentum of an entire series if you can get game one on the road.
1: So what do you you know, obviously for Memphis you're gonna have three of the five spots that assuming Conley is healthy, it's Conley, it's Randolph, it's Gasol so, what do you think their best lineup is now on the wing? I,
0: I mean, if he's healthy, Tony Allen—that's—that's that's pretty easy. And then the last spot—I—I've continued to not be a Jeff Green believer. I—I I lean towards Courtney Lee, but it's me too. It's, me too. I, I think that that's your best five, especially when Conley is even closer. Because I think I feel like. Courtney Lee can hit the open shots more reliably and he won't take as much away as Jeff green can do at moments, but it's not, it's not that big a difference. It's kind of five, one way, six, the other. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, that, that's the way that I would do it. Are there any players in this series that you think that we'll see less of, or has injure have injuries just basically made it that we'll see more of whoever is alive.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's the case. And, Maybe we'll see a little bit less of some of the Memphis front court backups, um, but uh, you know, just as Gasol and Randolph play more minutes. But aside from that, on the Portland size side, it's going to be all hands on deck. Um, so what's uh, what, what's the the question of the series here for you?
0: So for me, the question of the series is whether Portland, given their limitations, can exploit Memphis's lack of perimeter shooting because. We've talked about the idea of Courtney Lee versus versus Jeff Green, and then you have Tony Allen, and we have a limited Mike Conley, so even at full strength, Memphis is limited in terms of the perimeter scoring, so the, for me, it's, can Portland use that to leverage even you know having a better chance in the series?
1: You know, it's interesting, because Portland's defense is very statistically oriented. They really like to take away threes, and they want to take away stuff at the rim, but Memphis doesn't shoot a ton of threes. So in that case, maybe they'd be better off adjusting, trying to take away the post and, you know, back off in the mid-range. I mean, Tony Allen's not going to shoot any threes. Uh, so, and I'm sure they, they can adjust the scouting report to do that. But, yeah, I mean, I think they the problem is they don't have quite as many smart help defenders. I think the big man depth for Portland is a little bit questionable, although it's a better matchup for them than some, because they can actually play Cayman and Lopez together a little bit against the bigs that Memphis has, because those guys aren't going to space out too much or blow by you off the dribble. So, so you can actually play two centers a little bit bit together defensively, although then your spacing is going to suffer offensively. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, uh, they might be able to exploit it a little bit, but no more than an average team, and perhaps less so because they don't have a ton of great help defenders on that team.
0: I, just for selfish reasons, I want to see a little bit of Myers Leonard stretch five just for my own amusement.
1: <laughs> well, uh, so what's your prediction? I got uh, I got Memphis in seven.
0: Uh, I have Memphis in six because I feel like they're they're going to have with the structure of the of the games if they can hold for the first two I feel like it will it will really they'll have so much of a kind of an emotional advantage in that sense but if it goes 7 I, I wouldn't be completely shocked I also it's it's weird like I was somebody who originally I've been high on Memphis all year I was like oh you know this is Memphis's series as I've been sitting through it I I think that Portland if they can stay remotely healthy they are kind of not uniquely but distinctly suited to avoid some of their own pitfalls against Memphis and maybe be able to take advantage and like we talked about stealing games. I think Portland in this series, especially if Damian Lillard can play as well as we know he can, they could they have the ability to do that more and that would, could be what leads to it being a seven-game series.
1: Yeah, I think if Portland's going to take this series, Lillard and Aldridge are going to have to be the two best individual players in this series because They sure as heck don't have much else beyond those two guys at this point.
0: Yeah. Uh, Ready to move on to the next year's? Indeed. So if we're doing the idea of keeping people holding on, that means we're going Toronto-Washington and the, the matchup of teams that were originally looking much more dangerous than they are right now.
1: Yeah, both of these teams got off to great starts, but Washington's in particular was a bit of a Mirage of the schedule. They just had a really easy schedule to start off. But the good news for Washington is, although there have been some nagging injuries throughout the course of the year and guys have missed time, there's nobody who's really a risk to miss game one for them. In Toronto, Amir Johnson missed a lot of time with yet another ankle injury. He's had chronically injured ankles, and Demar Derozan missed a couple games before this that this last game against the Hornets on Wednesday with a sore groin, a little worrisome since he had that uh, issue early on in the year that required surgery, but he played well against the Hornets on Wednesday, hopefully that was more precautionary than anything, and uh, my only concern would be if if Amir Johnson doesn't start in this series, then you should be a little worried, because I don't know how the Raptors are going to stop anybody unless he's close to 100%. Yeah,
0: I definitely agree with that, and what I think with this series, it's not as hard to figure out what their best lineups are. The question is going to be: Will Randy Whitman actually close with Marcin Gortat?
1: Yeah, I think he's been doing more of that lately. He may have finally disabused himself of of that notion. I don't know. Have you seen any games recently where he hasn't done that?
0: I haven't watched much of the Wizards recently. I I, I can't bring myself to watch too much Randy Whitman offense.
1: Yeah, well, I I watched the double overtime classic against the Pacers on Tuesday, and and he had Gortat in there, and I've seen that in a couple other games as well. Another thing that's been talked about, Paul Pierce had a quote today saying that Whitman told him to be ready to play some four in this series, which I think uh, would really help the Wizards spacing a lot. Unfortunately, that means that they have to play another one of their perimeter players, and the drop-off from Wall, Beal, and Pierce... To anyone else in their perimeter rotation is a pretty massive one.
0: You mean high draft pick Otto Porter Jr.?
1: Yeah, that, that could be one. I mean, Rasul Butler, who had an unbelievable shooting start to the season that unfortunately was unsustainable. Uh, Ramon Sessions has, has been an upgrade on Miller, but he can't really shoot. He's only really useful as a backup point guard because he needs to have the ball in his hands. So, with all those guys, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty massive drop off to be sure.
0: Yeah, and also. While you're you're getting the benefit of you know messing with Toronto's equilibrium, you're not exploiting any sort of defensive laps by putting t- let's say Terence Ross on Otto Porter. You know you're not really you're not getting anything to exploit there unless Otto Porter just like you know unless, unless you can get to- Terrence Ross to get you know distracted and get Butler some open shots.
1: So, I mean, I think we we can agree that Washington's best lineup is their starting lineup, and that lineup has played pretty well through the year. I think when you lose one of those guys is when they've had a significant drop-off. So I think we could see Washington play a little better than people anticipate, especially with Pierce playing a lot more. He had a career low in minutes this year. I'm sure he was being saved as much as possible for the playoffs, and they've played pretty well when he's been on the floor this year, so... I think if he gets more minutes, we could see this team be a little bit more formidable than many anticipate.
0: I completely agree with you, and with the Wizards, the best thing for them in some ways is that they should be running a tighter rotation. And I hope that they can get some good minutes from Bradley Beal. I think that this is the type of series that could work well with him, though DeRozan will be a challenge, assuming that's how they how they handle it. But... The fact that you'll, that their starters will be getting a higher proportion of their minutes is definitely good, whereas Toronto, I mean, Grievous Vasquez has played pretty well. They've been playing Hansborough a lot recently. I've, it, it continues to be jarring for me. It's just one of those things that is. But Patterson has done a nice job for them. I like them a lot. But So I feel like thinning the rotation will do more f- favors for Washington than it will for Toronto.
1: Yeah, Toronto, it's real interesting. They had, I think, the third-ranked offense this year, but their defense was pretty decrepit. And one of the big reasons for the drop-off from last year, one is that Amir Johnson hasn't quite been the same, but another one is that they've been playing uh, General Grievous and they've been playing Lou Williams in big minutes, and you put those two guys together on the perimeter and you're just not going to be able to stay in front of people, and they don't have the guys on the back line who can quite make up for that. And they play a real scrambling system. If one guy gets beat, they're really going to be in a lot of rotations. And the good news for them, though, is that Washington doesn't have a ton of spacing. They shoot a lot of mid-rangers. So the hope is that if there's penetration, Toronto will be able to help out, and then you're only giving up a long two instead of a three.
0: And in some of those Washington sets, that long two is what they're looking for.
1: <laughs> yeah, so... um Another interesting thing to watch is that uh, Brad Beal, obviously in a small sample size, has been a pretty poor clutch player throughout the year. Um, So we'll we'll see if he uh, still struggles in that way. I mean, I think Washington in the clutch. John Wall, although he has the ball in his hands a lot, is not someone who's a great clutch time scorer because uh, his jumper is not quite reliable enough to make teams pay when they go under the screen on on pick and rolls, and Beal has struggled, and Pierce isn't really a guy you're going to throw it to and ask him to create something either. So where they go for uh, offense in the clutch will be very interesting to watch.
0: Do you th- Is that, for you, the question of the series, is what Washington does there, or do you think that there's something bigger here?
1: Well, I don't know about bigger, but one thing I was thinking of is, and I think that this is something that can determine – The series, in a lot of ways, I mean, these are teams that have perimeter stars. Kyle Lowry started the All-Star game. DeRozan was an All-Star last year. Beal and Wall get a lot of press. Pierce is a legend. But who has the best big man in this series, I think, is what's going to really determine it. And Amir Johnson, to me, is going to be the key. If he can help on Wall's penetration and and also get back on defense as well, Toronto's bigs getting back on defense is going to be huge because... Washington is a team that struggles to score in the half court and doesn't have the most creative sets. So if they can get 10 points a game from Wall's one-man fast breaks, that's huge for them. Um, I think Toronto would be very wise, especially with how good a rebounders uh, Nene and Gortat are, to just, Nene not quite as much as Gortat, but uh, and Wall also being a good rebounding point guard, to just get back, kind of abandon the, offensive glass and keep Washington out of the fast break.
0: Yeah, and I also think that Valanchunas could have a huge role if he can get Gortat in foul trouble, because while Washington has other bigs, they don't have other bigs who are nearly as good, and they don't have other bigs who can do the things that Gortat does so well.
1: Yeah, and as a player we might see less of, hopefully for Washington fans, we're not going to see a ton of Drew Gooden, who actually started some games at the four that Nene has missed. I mean, you've got Gooden, you've got Humphreys, who his injury, he was playing very well earlier in the year, and his injury is an underrated reason why Washington sort of tanked a little bit. Um, and then Kevin Serafin is another guy who provides some rim protection, uh, will go over his left shoulder every time in the post for a jump hook, but can score a couple buckets a game that way, but isn't necessarily the most intelligent guy. So it be interesting to see how that backup big rotation shakes out for Washington, especially with Nene never one who has played a ton of minutes, so they they may need to watch his minutes and play some of those backup bigs more.
0: So considering everything we've talked about, what's your prediction for the series?
1: I'm going to go Whiz and Six. I I think that Pierce playing more is going to end up being the difference, and I don't think that Toronto's defense is good enough to really stymie Washington the way some other opponents might.
0: Yeah, I'm similar to you, but I think Wizards in seven, which would be heartbreaking for Raptors fans. But I do think that it is the most likely outcome, given the talent that is involved in the series to me.
1: All right, uh, Cleveland-Boston, before we finally get to the main course, this is one I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on. Um, The injury issues, I think Cleveland looking pretty darn healthy there. They had the two seeds locked up forever ago the only thing to watch is kevin love has periodically struggled with his back he's had back spasms but that's invariably indicative of a larger underlying issue and it wouldn't shock me if he ends up having some kind of a back procedure done in the off season considering how long this has affected him and he hasn't been the same and maybe that injury deserves more of the blame for that than you might think but frankly it doesn't matter I don't think against the Celtics teams, despite the fact that they've played pretty well. Um, I don't think they have the firepower to keep up with this Cleveland offensive juggernaut.
0: Yeah, I agree I agree with you. Uh, one, one of the things I'm intrigued with you on, I've watched a little bit more of the Celtics the last couple of weeks when they've been playing well. I have no semblance of an idea what their best five-man lineup is.
1: Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Because you've got the three guards, smart, Thomas, I mean, Thomas has probably got to be out there. Um, and I think Thomas is someone who could have a big series. Um, Avery Bradley and Smart, I think you only really need one of those guys out there against the Cavs to guard Kyrie. and uh, But then, you know, J.R. Smith, not a great matchup for Isaiah Thomas because he's someone who can just shoot his threes right. He gets good lift on his jumper. He's got a quick release. Thomas is going to have a lot of trouble crashing into the lane and then closing out on him. So, you know, it, it's uh, there's a lot of defensive liabilities out there for Boston. Stevens did really well getting them barely into the top half of the league in defense with a roster that doesn't really have any good defensive big men. But, you know, I think this is going to be, now that we're at playoff time, there's too many holes to exploit, and I think that Cleveland is going to be pretty ruthless about doing that.
0: Yeah, I agree with that, and I, I like Tyler Zeller, you know, as a rotation big, and he's done a nice job this year, but I, I just feel like he's going to have a tough time with all of, not only the big men on Cleveland, but the penetration that Cleveland provides.
1: So, I guess the idea is going to be Jay Crowder is going to be the primary guy on LeBron. I wouldn't mind seeing Smart try to guard him and, and see how Ooh. that
0: works Oh, that'd be so much fun.
1: Yeah, and... and You know, I I could see Smart getting into foul trouble very easily in that matchup. But the big problem there is the height. And LeBron doesn't particularly enjoy going into the post that much, despite the fact that he's still pretty much unstoppable. It's not something we've seen that much. He just, for whatever reason, doesn't particularly enjoy doing it. Um, So, you know, I might give Smart a chance on him and see how it goes, especially because Crowder might get in foul trouble or just is going to need a break or whatever.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that. Are there? Is this a s- series that really even has any underrated storylines?
1: Um. Yeah, I think the biggest one is Love's health, uh, which we talked about already. You know how spry is he going to look, and you know is he how much of a part of the offense is he going to be aside from just spacing out around pick and rolls or running pick and pops? Uh, that's probably the biggest thing I'll be looking at since we don't expect this series necessarily to be competitive. I I think Cleveland, Cleveland isn't that great on the road. I could see them losing a game. So I'm going to go Cleveland in five here, especially because they sort of uh, have a habit of taking their foot off the gas sometimes.
0: Yeah, I I could definitely see it being the same thing. And, it, yeah, I mean, uh, to me it's it's a pretty big talent disparity and it's a talent disparity in a way that will affect the outcomes of games. I, I think Cleveland in five is the outcome as well. And I like I like Stevens. I like where the Celtics are going. The Celtics are going good places, but they're not going there right now.
1: Well, and I guess so we didn't actually pick what our best closing lineup is for Boston. I'll go I'll go with Isaiah uh, just because they're gonna need him to score, call it smart at the two. Uh, Jay Crotter at the three and this you know this is against Cleveland obviously and, and then I think you're, you're also going to need a Linick, uh to space the floor at, at the four and then maybe Zeller at the five but yeah I mean you really have some tough choices because uh, they don't have anyone to defend the rim and Cleveland of course has really two of the best guys driving and finishing in LeBron and Kyrie.
0: Yeah, and also the transition defense is going to be so tough for Boston in that series because Cleveland, when they get going, they're just magnificent.
1: All right, uh, let's move on to the main event, Spurs versus Clippers.
0: So let's start with injuries. I think you're more up to date on what's happening with Tiago Splitter, which is the, in some ways the biggest health storyline of this series.
1: Yeah, it is. I, well, for the Clippers, we can start with them. Jamal Crawford is back he, hasn't played particularly well since he got back from his own calf issues. I think it was called a calf contusion, but he's struggled a lot with calf injuries and those can be really tricky because you need your calves and it's, it's pretty difficult to kind of take it easy because every time you jump or every time you really try and push off, you're using your calf. So you got to let that heal completely. Hopefully he's back there, but you know, he hasn't been as great this year and hasn't done a ton that I've seen since he returned, but He is going to play. The Clippers don't have anyone I think who's in danger of not playing. Uh, For the Spurs, both Matt Bonner and Splitter missed the last game with calf injuries. Splitter has struggled with calf injuries both uh, in the postseason last year and then he missed, I think, about 20 games at the start of this year with uh, a strained calf that even developed into some nerve issues. So it's certainly something that he's susceptible to. Coach Popovich had some somewhat troubling comments by saying he wasn't going to be ready to just roll in and play 27 minutes a game. Uh, starting in game one, he's going to have to round back into shape, and Splitter is someone that they really need to guard Blake Griffin.
0: Yeah, and I mean, he gives them a lot of flexibility because that allows Tim Duncan to kind of be the be the safety in the back and just make sure that protect the rim and everything like that. If they don't have splitter, that forces them to do some really creative things, like potentially put Kawhi Leonard on Blake, which I would be excited to see, but definitely changes the Spurs fundamentally.
1: Yeah, well, that that takes us to what's the best lineup? Why don't we start with the Spurs? I mean, I think their starters is definitely the way to go, um, and and or maybe with Boris Dia in place of Tiago Splitter, but. I think Diaz is a much worse matchup against Blake Griffin. Blake hasn't been quite the bull in the post this year that he has been in past years, but still a dangerous matchup. And Diaz, somebody who's not been the same defender as he's been in years past. The other option then is going with Kawhi at the four and playing both Ginobili and Danny Green and Kawhi trying to guard Blake, uh, would definitely be pretty interesting. Uh, I don't know if it's the best matchup, uh, and Blake trying to guard Kawhi. Also, I think I actually think Blake can do a better job on Kawhi than Kawhi could do on Blake, frankly, just due to Blake's strength that I don't I don't know that Kawhi could necessarily deal with.
0: If if you had Dia and Duncan, would you also consider flipping it and having Dia just guard DeAndre because DeAndre is not going to make him do that much?
1: Uh, no, because Duncan just they never they always leave him guarding the rim as much as possible. True, and putting him. Away from the basket, is just not even in his defensive DNA anymore. I mean, you saw you saw that when he had to guard Anthony Davis at the end of that game against the Pelicans. There was one play where Tyreek Evans drove in, he was pretty well contained, and Davis was on the baseline. Evans just threw it to him. Duncan was under the rim and Davis had about five seconds to shoot a jump shot that came pretty close to icing the game. So it's just Tim Duncan getting out from under the basket and trying to guard the other team's power forward is usually something that's pretty difficult for him.
0: Yeah. In, in terms of the best lineup for the Clippers, I think it's, is it anything other than the starting five? I mean, there's a really, they don't have that many good players right now.
1: I think it very clearly is not anything other than the starting five, but Doc Rivers, at least as recently as last year's playoffs would disagree with that. They played Jamal Crawford a ton and Crawford, someone never who's been who's never been bashful, uh, kind of shot them out of a couple games, I thought, against the Thunder uh, by taking the ball out of the hands of more efficient options. When they blew that lead in Game 5 at OKC, uh, Crawford took a couple of questionable shots, and Paul didn't get a chance to run things, and he's obviously the most efficient option for them. So, uh, you know, maybe we'll see Crawford. Maybe we'll even see Redick and Crawford together with Barnes on the bench. That's but-
0: what I want to see.
1: But if they go that way, I would imagine that Kawhi is probably going to murder them in the post. Uh, the only issue for the Spurs with Kawhi in the post is if they're going with two bigs, there may not be enough spacing for them to be able to do that.
0: Yeah, I think maybe if, if they're going to do that, then maybe that's when you pull out the Boris DL lineup.
1: Okay, so any uh, under underrated storylines in this series? So, to me, it's just that the Clippers have a really good chance of winning this thing.
0: Yeah, I think... I think that that's a huge one and also I I'm excited to see uh Popovich seven game series against Doc Rivers. I, I that's something actually that we, we have seen it before but I I don't know why I just find it intriguing. But yeah, yeah I mean so, let's go, let's, go, let's focus more on the Clippers. I mean the Clippers people have have not thought about how great this team played most of the season.
1: No, yeah, and especially uh, you know in, in the second half of the year I think that There are a lot of reasons people just have sort of Clippers fatigue, whether it was being so in the news due to the Sterling thing, whether it's Doc foibles as a GM, whether it's their terrible bench, whether it's the fact that all those guys often play together, you know, whether it's signing his own own son, uh, whether it's carping to the refs, whether it's Matt Barnes shooting terribly for the first 10 games and everyone assuming he couldn't shoot and then, Doing really well the rest of the year, but no one seems to care about anything other than the first 10 games sometimes. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why everyone has written off the Clippers in their head, but, you know, their uh, starting lineup is really, really good. JJ Reddick has been awesome. And I think that's actually one big advantage that the Spurs are going to have in this series, though, is they can put Kawhi or Danny Green on JJ Reddick and then him running off the screens. If those guys are in there, Uh, is something that will probably be reduced quite a bit as a weapon for the Clippers.
0: Yeah, and what makes San Antonio distinct among great teams is that they have two dominant perimeter defenders, and so they can implement it. Even Danny Green's so good on ones that they could put Danny Green on Chris Paul and put Kawhi on, on J.J. Redick if they really wanted to and just totally negate a lot of what L.A. does so well.
1: Yeah, and that could be potentially a reason why we would see Crawford play over Matt Barnes, is presumably the Spurs, when the going gets tough, they're going to try and hide Parker on Matt Barnes. And the Clippers may decide that they're sick of Tony Parker being able to hide, and they may put in Crawford and just try and outscore the Spurs.
0: Could the chess piece move there be also to play Manu instead of Tony Parker, and then you're getting a little bit closer?
1: Now nah, Parker will always be in the crunch time lineup. I, I can't imagine that that would be the case. And he's been playing, he's been playing way better than Manu That's lately true. too. So, uh, no, I I wouldn't see them going without a point guard. Uh, and in fact, I can't think really of any times when they've done that recently that I've seen.
0: Yeah. It, it, and that leads me into the other kind of big question with the series is that I've been wondering is who does Kawhi guard? I mean, he's a dominant defensive player. A lot of people consider him defensive player of the year. He's second on my theoretical ballot. They didn't give me one. And, but, in this series, just with the way that the clippers are structured, it's a very different series for him. We've talked about it a little bit, but how do you see that?
1: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, they may just put you know have him be the fireman on whoever gets hot. I think you know he obviously can do the best job on on those, but he's also really their best help defender from the wing too and so maybe you might even start with him on Barnes and see if you can use his help and recover skills to disrupt some of the pick and rolls and then try to get the big out a little bit more especially if it's a one four pick and roll to help parker guarding paul but you know we'll see how it goes i mean i would anticipate that pop will probably start with just the normal matchups and give parker a chance but then you know once paul starts carving him up try and switch things up either by blitzing more or by putting someone like green on paul
0: yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of Danny Green on on Chris Paul, and I think that sets up the conceptual matchup with Danny Green guarding Stephen Curry later on in the playoffs.
1: So, what is your uh, question for the series? I think you did this one.
0: Yeah, it's cool. who Kawhi guards. Uh, I yeah. think that's I think that's the big question with this. But but also, you know what. What modifications will Doc Rivers make in series? I think we've seen Popovich make some great adjustments in various series over the last couple of years. It's part of the reason the Spurs have been so good. Granted, it helps when your team is comically deep like the Spurs are, but what are the Clippers' moves, what are their counter moves, and will Doc be willing to adjust based on, the, the let's say, the circumstances on the ground?
1: Yeah, well, you know, their bench obviously has really struggled and Spencer Hawes, I mean, who's the question for me is who's going to be the, the main guy as a backup big? Is it going to be Big Baby? Is it going to be Hawes? Are they going to play Turkoglu more as a backup four, which they've done some before? And Turkoglu's actually been hitting his three-pointers pretty well of late. Has it, looked a little better than he has before. Um, so, yeah, I think that'll be the, the big key. And then, of course, the perimeter backup perimeter rotation as well behind Crawford. Is, is it going to be... Austin Rivers for those 10 minutes a game when Paul doesn't play? Or is it going to be Gulp, Lester Hudson? But one of those two guys has probably got to play 10 minutes a game. And last year in the playoffs, the Clippers got killed whenever Darren Collison came in. And uh, the Clippers also, I think, got outscored uh, or, or were 20 points per 100 possessions better with Paul on the floor than off this year. And that's something that is... Indicative of how bad their backup point guards have been. So with that being the case, uh, how much is Paul going to play? What if he gets in foul trouble? Is it going to be Rivers? Is it going to be Hudson? Those are going to be some of the big questions and whether the Clippers can stay afloat in those minutes is going to be a huge question as well.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that the Chris Paul foul trouble issue is going to cost the Clippers at least one game in the series. Not that Chris fouls a ton, but I feel like they're just so lost at sea without him that I don't know how they how they can deal with that. If he, Let's say he gets two early fouls. I honestly think if you're a doc, you consider just playing him through it and just praying he doesn't get the foul because otherwise you're just going to be dead in the water.
1: Yeah, I will say that the Clipper th- those statistics are probably exacerbated a little bit because Doc has an affinity for these all-bench units, especially at the start of the second and fourth quarters. I and mean, we saw that unit get outscored 9-0 to zero, uh, and cost in the game. And that, that game they lost at home to the Warriors. The, the, those all-bench units have been awful. But I think you know if he can get a little more minutes out of the starters and not play all the bench guys together for any minutes, we'll see if he can do that or not. But that might help mitigate how bad the backup point guards have been.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think that could. Um, let's let's go to predictions. I'll start with this one because I, I think you'll have a longer take. I think Spurs and six. The Clippers are a great team, but I think that the Spurs' depth and their specific talents will make them pull it out a little bit earlier. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if we go seven, but I think this is the Spurs' series to lose.
1: You know what? I think I'm going to go Clips and seven. Wow, I, I'm uh, I'm going to be a little bit of a contrarian here. I think the Spurs, for all of their impossible to die uh, reputation and all the success they've had over the years, I and mean, they're not exactly a team that wins a ton of series on the roads traditionally. And and there's really only been a couple that come to mind, and certainly not in, the, in this current iteration of the team. I can't think of any series that they won without home court advantage and the Clippers don't have the most amazing home court advantage in the world, but I think it will be pretty decent. And another thing too, is that the Clippers don't really have a wing superstar for Kawhi Leonard to guard. And I'm worried that splitter may not quite be himself. And I think that San Antonio could actually struggle to stop the Clippers. And, that San Antonio is, does not have anyone on the wing. You know, I mean I guess I guess Kawhi, but he's not, you know, quite the level of one on one score or pick and roll score that some other wings are to exploit the Clippers' lack of wing defense the way a lot of guys could. So yeah, I actually don't think that this is that terrible of a matchup for the Clippers. And I think they can do it. I think they're a better team over the course of the regular season. Um and And I'm gonna pick' them. i I definitely think it's a huge toss up and this might be a little bit of contrarianism, but with them having the home court advantage, I'm gonna go with them.
0: Wow, definitely interesting, and that leads to a question I've been talking playoffs all day is do you feel like the winner of this series is a clear cut favorite over the Rockets Mavericks winner which whichever way but those series both go? Yes. Full stop. No, 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 nothing. I, I mean, I think I think it's that way too. Even if it's a seven game war and all that stuff, I still think that the winner of this series is a pretty notable favorite against Houston, it, unless Dwight gets all the way back and but without Patrick Beverly, even then, I still think.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's who is Houston gonna have to guard Paul? That that could be a, a big problem. But you know, I guess we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Houston would at least have home court in that series as the two seed, so. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's, this is going to be an amazing series. I can't wait. Um, and it's uh, it's kind of a shame it has to happen in the first round. You were talking about that. But on the other hand, if it didn't happen in the first round, maybe one of these teams would get upset and get an injury, and it would never happen. So at least as fans, we're guaranteed of, seeing two great teams play against one another and that'll be enjoyable.
0: Yeah. And the other factor with that is that a lot of the other first round series are intellectually interesting, but I don't think they're going to be those classics. And I think if any series in the first round is going to do it, it's that. And we have other possibilities in the second and third rounds that can carry that torch. So we get to see it early. We get some entertaining basketball, pretty reliable tune in game for the two of us every time that they're on. And that's exciting.
1: All right. Well, so this will be the end of our first week. Uh, Thanks for helping out, uh, Danny. Thanks for listening, and we're going to record again on Sunday night when we have a full weekend of games behind us. Uh, Danny and I will both be going to game one of Pell's Dubs, so we'll have a full report on that and everything else that happened over the weekend Sunday night. till then.